and welcome to another Accelerator podcast episode. I'm your host, Ed Miles, and uh, with me here, as always, is Howard Bishop. Hello, How are you and Howard, all right? Yeah, good, thanks. Good, good. So today we're going to be covering holistic therapies. So for those of you who are unfamiliar with this word, holistic therapy is kind of an umbrella term for uh, all different types of kind of alternative treatments that aren't quite your traditional types. So example of this is kind of um chiropractic chiropractic is it chiropractic chiropractory that's the one yeah um stuff like that sports massage not your typical kind of physio uh training type uh, interventions so we've got a special guest today and howard's gonna briefly introduce uh dan's background yeah so uh our guest today dan woods is uh a physiotherapist um, and runs his own company um, in child physiotherapy called PT Kids or Physical Therapy Kids. And he's a customer of ours for a different reason, not for physio, because he's a referee at quite a high level in rugby, trained with us for that. And um, we bounce off him with some medical things as well and injuries as we go through. So to just build on what Ed said is that the medical term for it is... Um, a CAM, so complementary and alternative treatment. Um, and that's a key word is complementary there, isn't it, Ed? So is, we wouldn't advise to give it as a sole, sole solution for something, but as a complementary to that, we, sort of, we can sort of get that, can't we? Yeah. So as we'll, we'll go into a bit more detail in the, in the main bulk of the podcast, but... For my personal opinion, I think a lot of the uh, alternative therapies out there are hoodoo and don't actually have a physical effect. It's more of a mental effect and it's a more of a placebo. Yeah, and I've, uh, been a bit, I've done a bit of a U-turn on it, I think. I, I, didn't, I was the same way as Ed at first and then but I saw somebody who had an alternative therapy and it seemed to work wonders for them. So... And then I just thought, well, if it works for you, it works for you. And then that's it. And just try things. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And if it goes into me with an open mind, really. So I have on it. So let's get Dan on and we'll, uh, we'll go into all the talk, talks and topics about holistic therapy. So in this section, hashtag train like an athlete, we'll ask Dan how he's used his training to be a physio. Uh, through his career and find out what he's done. So, hi Dan, how are you doing? I'm great, thanks. Cheers, you? Yeah, very good, thank you. Nice to have you on and lockdown as as usual, but we're struggling through. Um, so, in this section, Dan, we want you to just explain how training to be a physio has then you've had to apply that into real life and how it's adapted your career or not necessarily in physio, maybe in everyday life and how it's it's affected you. Yeah, I think the the most important thing for me was that I knew if I wanted to work in health, I had to make sure I was promoting a healthy lifestyle. And I knew that if I was going to work with people and part of the expectation was I was going to tell them to go away and do exercises regularly or to change their lifestyle or to change their habits, I knew that I had to have a reasonable lifestyle and good habits myself because I think you can't come across... Uh, you've got no sort of there's nothing genuine about your approach if you kind of practice what you preach preach, preach, basically so I think the really important things for me uh, and I think in particular is why I came to you guys really and why I started training with you guys which is it's been uh, it's been three years now I was looking back it's been three years since I've been working with you guys now and I think that the important thing for me was having a really consistent persistent approach to uh, health and fitness uh, for myself and having a long-term plan and making a long-term investment in my own health and my own fitness um, because you know nobody wants to go and see a fat physio do they uh, I don't think there's um, any level of credibility uh, in what I what I do is if I'm expecting other people to make big changes to their lifestyle and habits and exercise if I'm not willing or able to do that for myself yeah exactly and that consistency you hit the nail on the head there that's what we've been talking about quite a lot at the minute through social media and stuff it's really hard to get people to understand that and uh, not quite kind of like i suppose it's not really kind of training to be a physio is enabled take like added that to your life it's kind of your own 
perception on how you wanted to to be as a as a practitioner yeah. um is there anything like kind of that you like when you were trained you, you did, did was it a physiotherapy degree you did at york st john that's right yeah yeah so from, from learning that is there anything you've kind of you took from that to then like how apply it to your training or to your life or anything like that so like in terms of the actual kind of the, the knowledge you gained from it has, did you change anything yeah. because of that I mean, I'm very, I'm very lucky in a sense is that I've never actually had an injury. So as a, <laughs> as a physio, I've never, ever yeah. touched wood. I've never had to treat myself. So, <laughs> you know, I've never actually had to apply any of the kind of the treatment modalities to myself. Yeah. But I think probably the thing that, that I've used in my own life and all areas of my life is, is the idea of uh, being goal orientated. So I think yeah. what's really important when my clients come to speak to me is I want to understand what are their goals? You know, why have they come to see me and what do they want to get back to? So it's not just about how does that in, you know, what is the injury and how can we treat the injury? It's like, what's the injury stopping them doing? What do they want to get back to? Um, and what's the goal at the end of it? So I think it's really important to have a reason why you want to do something. Yeah. It's not just about, well, let's see if we can get rid of that bit of back pain. Like, what's that back pain stopping you doing? And, and, and then how can we get you back to that thing that you want to do? So I think having a goal is really important. So as part of my therapy and as part of training, you learn a lot about, you know, goal setting and writing yeah. goals and smart goals and using objective markers. So you're tracking progress. And I think what I was just going to say is how would, how in your field would you make it more measurable? I know we, me, you and I have discussed this before with the NHS, which we'll touch on later is that they make it very much that you, your angle of joint or whatever that they measure is, mm -hmm. is yours more of, a subjective measurement with the children you work with or I think for the children that I work with it's um it's a little bit more complex because sometimes we're working with children with long-term conditions and we know that it's perhaps more difficult to have that much more measurable uh, improvement which is more easily measurable um <clears throat> I, I don't generally feel like using a like you say, like a range of movement measure. Okay, right, you've got 10 degrees more range in your hamstrings. Okay, what, what does that actually mean? What's yeah, the functional yeah. outcome of that? So we, I use a lot of um, functional outcome measures and we're quite lucky. There's a number of um, standardized outcome measures that we use in our field, like a, a gross motor function measure or a, a C, C PIP, um, so like movement ABC. We're in, in physio, we're, we're actually quite good at... Um, creating our, our own standardized assessments. And I think what, um, what's important is that um, in our work, we apply those standardized assessments at various times to track, to track progress. Um, that's, that's quite similar to kind of how we approach training as well. And like how obviously elite kind of uh, S&C coaches will track kind of like athlete development. They've got like, um, they'll always have that testing in place and keep tracking. So I suppose that is very similar, even though it's completely different. And you might not originally think that, doing what you do you'll do that same kind of development because obviously it's a lot it's a lot more um complex factors like you mentioned and it's a bit more subjective so that's kind of, i suppose that's adding structure to a very kind of complex area which is very very difficult like how sorry i, I like how as well that you, you can say that it's not it's all subjective to the person sometimes the rule book needs to be thrown away as well yeah. but that, that's where sometimes very medical oriented people or very high performance people sort of lose the, the way that they think it has to be to the textbook but sometimes the rule book has to go out the window and you have to come up with something that's best for the athlete or best for the, the ch child in your in your point of view yeah definitely i mean i do use a lot of something called the goal attainment scale and what's good about that system is it allows me to write the goals with different levels of attainment and then we measure against those and it's it's very flexible so I can create the measurable thing and then the score is the objective part of it comes from the fact that you know I think they're going to ex attain a level one and then do they then attain the level two or the level three or the level five and I can write what each level is and that then allows me to, to track to make it really really specific to that person I'm not trying to make the person fit the the yeah. goal, the person fit the test, I can just be completely flexible um, and it can fit them instead. Yeah, we like doing that as well, like sort of make an adapted test. So you base it on the test, but really it's more specific to the, to the person and you can, uh, it doesn't matter as long as they improve really. You don't have to measure it against the norms as long as they show improvement. Yeah. So who, with that in mind, who's, who's been your top inspirations through, throughout your career that 
or maybe not even just your career in life at, at helping you achieve and who do you follow? Yeah, so I was very, very lucky in my professional career that um, when I got my first job out of the out of university, I worked with a really experienced um, children's physio called Jenny Saunders, and she was a really great mentor for me. I think what's really important with um, <clears throat> in our industry is that we find people that are happy to tell us the things that they know. I think sometimes in our industry. Yeah people can be very guarded and people can be quite um, protective of their own knowledge and their own skills. So when I found Jenny or when I was lucky enough to get to work with Jenny is that she was just so open. uh, She couldn't have been any more generous with her knowledge and with her skills. And a lot of the stuff and the principles that she taught me, I I certainly do use a lot still today. Yeah, That that cloak and dagger thing is a bit odd, isn't it? In our industry, well, uh, injury or fitness or whatever, because it, It, uh, if we all know more, we should all be able to apply yeah. our different different point of views t- to it, and everybody could get better. But yeah. it is very cloak and dagger in uh, in some at some points. But yeah, it it, the, it you do find that unfortunately, which is a shame. So I think the more that we share our knowledge, like you say, the better we can all become. Yeah, and like um, the thing is as well, like with kind of the, the state of the industry at the minute, you've got to like everybody's doing something for a reason but you don't know the reason why and so yeah. you, you might think something's you know bad but then when you actually find out why they're doing it it kind of changes your perception on things as well so i don't think there is any need to kind of keep your secrets secret topical for today's uh, podcast as well really because i've sort of changed my view on holistic therapy over the time and uh, and i'll explain why in a minute but is there anybody you follow sort of social media wise that you, you would, would say to people to look out for. I know you and I have, have both discussed some some ones that uh, an Instagram called the Prehab Guys. They're very good um, yeah. at showing corrective exercise movements. Is there anybody else you follow that you you like? And I mean, for me, the most valuable people that that I follow are the children and families that I see and treat, because for me, it's a complete window into their life, into their day to day life. It shows me what kind of things they work on when they're at home, what kind of activities and physical recreation stuff they do when they're away from me. It's, it's a complete like window and insight into the mind of uh, the client or the people that I'm, that I'm working with. And, and actually seeing some of these children and the, the, you know, the hard work that they do on a day to day basis on their physio, on their exercises, you know, that is quite inspirational to me. So, I mean, I'm going to going to name drop a few of the families that we work with, and they're they're great to follow because you know if you want to you want to see an example of people having a goal and putting in persistent and consistent effort to achieve it, um, you know this is what you this is what you want to look at really. So we've got uh, on Instagram we've got at George's underscore journey with two Y's, uh, at Louis Pace a warrior's tale with an underscore in between each uh, of the, the letters, uh, at Team Daniel Bostock and at Carter's Journey sixteen. You know, these are these are four families that that we work with who are, are really active on uh, social media, really positive in the message they're putting out there. I think they're really good advocates for lots of other families who are looking for some support, or are looking for some examples to follow, and are looking at what children can achieve when they yeah. put in a consistent, persistent, and persistent effort into into their exercises and their physio. It's fantastic, you know, children. Um, can be amazing inspirations when when they do because they have to see a, such a simple view of it don't they they, they say I'm, I'm broken and i want to get fixed or whatever that's so simple the way they look yeah. at it and uh, <clears throat> it's quite good that they will do anything to, to be fixed as if it were but if you can send me those uh, down as well i'll put it in the show notes so people yeah can that'd be great yeah I mean, there's a couple of uh, therapy centers that i find particularly interesting to follow from more of my treatment point of view so there's a, a place and I think a lot of the time I find myself looking stateside for those extra ideas or those modern technologies or modern adjuncts. So there's a place called the Napa Center uh, in California, which I think the treatment adjuncts that they use at their center, I think are really married to my philosophy. And I think they use a, a lot of the adjuncts that they use uh, look really, really interesting. And then we often follow uh, St. Louis Children's Hospital, um, because they're quite pioneering in managing spasticity in children and 
whatever they're doing over there, I want to know because I want to know how we can apply it to what we're doing over here because I think they're at the forefront of research when it comes to our field and working with the kind of children that I work with. So I think there are a couple of really important ones for me that I'm always uh, keeping my eye on. Good, fantastic. So that's a, a nice little insight into your day-to-day life and, and what, what makes uh, you tick and, and what makes inspires you into helping people. It's the main thing about any of these holistic therapies we'll mention today is it's really is all about helping people. Mm-hmm. So on to the main section, holistic therapies. Now, first thing to say is that holistic therapy is probably not the right word because um, it can be misconstrued what that actually means. So the, it seems like the official wording is complementary and alternative therapies or CAM as the NHS would word it. And then also what we're gonna be now is trying to be not critical, but if we are critical, it's to say that every, every practitioner out there, there is good and bad in every field. And we're not going to reflect on that industry as a, as a view, it's just our opinion on, on certain matters and what it is. So I'll leave it over to Ed to discuss on what our point of view is. So, Holistic therapy is quite a big uh, umbrella and there's a lot of things that come underneath it. And I suppose from our point of view, kind of more sciencey on the science side of things, we tend to kind of say, is that really the best thing you can be doing? Does it actually work? Because obviously we're from a science background, we need evidence, we need you know proof that it's actually doing anything. So for some of them, so like in, for example, one that we talk about quite a lot because a lot of our client base do it on their own time on the side is the, 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 the yoga and the kind of alignment of your spirit and all that. When people tell us about that, we're kind of like, right, yeah, nice one. Yeah, that's, that's really beneficial to your, your health. So that's kind of where we stand on it. What do you think about that, Dan? I think it's quite interesting, uh, holistic therapies. I mean, my overriding view is if it feels good, do it. If it works for you, do it. And I think we've all got a responsibility to be open-minded to different approaches and different ideas. And I like to think that as a physio, we are holistic or we offer holistic therapy in the sense that, you know, a good physio will look at you as a whole. They won't just look at your knee. They won't just look at your back. They'll, they'll look at, you know, the whole picture. Um, And, you know, how does, you know, strength, endurance, flexibility, posture, function, movement, how how does your day-to-day life, how does your work life, how's your social life, your your mental health, how does that all all then go to to work on your physical health? Because I think, in a sense, health as as a concept, it's very difficult to actually remove mental health from physical health. And I think that's where... um, holistic therapies sometimes win over traditional site pure science based therapies is that they start to look at um the impact of how the sort of the well-being and the mental health impact on the physical health as well yeah so i've underlined that in my notes is well-being so if somebody's well-being it it feels like they've improved they're not stressed and that's going to take a lot out of it so as i said mentioned earlier i took a bit of a u-turn on this is i would have never really i always thought pretty much holistic therapies were papering out papering over a crack type of thing um yeah. not really solving anything but now i took a u-turn on it and i think if it makes the customer feel good because one of our customers started with acupuncture and chinese medicine and it seemed mm. to improve him tenfold mm. um by either just not making him stressed or making him feel like he's moving better which mm seem to have a real big effect which I, I think is is good in the in the long term of it and then if he feels good when he comes to, to us and we can then solve the underlying issue then that's all is all going to be good for it yeah. so in terms of injury um we'll we'll go through a few and see see what it is so i think that injury is a very complex beast yeah i think i don't want to mention any injuries specifically but I think the fact that each therapist is supposed to do their own 
little things. So like a, a chiropractor would be looking at joints and an osteopath would be looking at muscles and a masseuse would be looking at another thing. And then, a, a, you know, there's herbal medicine looking at the chemical side of it. And then I was saying to Dan yesterday that I saw one that was called a kinesiologist. Mm. And I thought, surely isn't that a biomechanist? And it said, it said, no, it just looks at human movement. And I was like, yeah, that's a biomechanist mechanist. There's a, there's a, there's a job for that. But you know, I've got a list here and there's, there's like 12 or 15 different holistic therapies that they listed. And, and some of them you, you could probably throw at the wall and see what sticks type of thing. But I don't think that finding a different person for each thing is necessarily right but I don't know what your guys' opinion on it is. Is that... So I think um, sometimes where these holistic therapies win over potentially a physiotherapist is, as I said before, physio can look at all of those things, probably that a holistic therapist might look at one. But to the, the lay man in the street, the holistic therapist's message is often um, very simple and very easy to understand and I think sometimes we baffle, we, you know, we baffle ourselves with science sometimes. So never mind the, the man in the street. I think, you know, if, if you had a joint back pain problem and the chiropractor said, I can fix your joint back pain problem um, with, a, with a simple message, um, looking yeah. at that one specific thing, that's probably easier to understand and buy into to, as compared to a physio who might potentially, who will do all of those things, but they might want to look at other other areas of you know lifestyle and uh, body mechanics and flexibility and strength as, as well as all of that. Probably packaged up all together, it's probably almost like a, a harder sell uh, because it's we we sometimes baffle ourselves or baffle each other with science sometimes. I think with the holistic therapists that specialize on one thing, I think quite a lot of them tend to be like you said, they've got a simple message, but then that simple thing that they do is quite short-term quick fix. So like if you've got back pain, you go to your chiropractor once a week and he clicks you around and then you feel really good. And then a couple of days later, you're back to square one because you've not actually changed the thing that's caused the back pain in the first place. And you've not addressed any of the other issues that are resulting in the back pain. So therefore, if you're a chiropractor, you can't get there. You've then just got to have back pain. So I think like we, we as, as trainers and coaches, pride ourselves on trying to be have a holistic approach on everything so we try and take into account their lifestyle how we how we can make their training kind of suit their lifestyle and how it can benefit as well so like if someone came to us and they said they've got back pain we'll do our best to train them like they want to be trained so let's say they want to get beach body ready we're doing all that but then at the same time we'll be trying to manage their their back pain and get make them feel better most of the time um, and I think that's that, like that's where some of the holistic therapists fall down because they're, they're only looking at one yeah. thing and i yeah, think and as a what? society we're quite keen on the quick fix yeah we quite like the thing that makes us feel good uh, mm. even if it's not necessarily the thing that's going to make the biggest long-term impact on our life uh, and on our health it's actually quite you know to make a, a long-term change to your health yeah. it's like you said you touched on at the beginning it's that consistency so yeah. like obviously going to the chiropractor once a week will help you manage that back pain but then if you don't consistently try and kind of train yourself out of the back pain by doing you know certain types of exercise stuff like that then you're just going to be a constant lifelong battle you're never going to see any improvement yeah and it's it says holistic therapy but it's not holistic it needs to be a whole body approach and um we spoke about this in episode three that you can't train every component there's just not enough time in the day but you need to prioritize what you want to achieve so people will go we work at the squash club so people will go my knees in absolute agony but i don't want to stop playing squash well one is causing the other there's a direct link there between your pain and, and the squash so you know you're going to have to tone down the squash at least a little bit while we fix your knee and then see what the effect is and going back to what we said about trial and error almost is finding out what works for that person and and i think sort of the most important thing underlying all of that is if you're not treating the primary impairment so if you're not treating the thing that's causing the symptom the symptoms going to return yeah. so it's about finding out what's the primary impairment what's the primary cause that's causing the injury or the pain or the discomfort 
and treat that first and yep. then work on the other things as well if you just treat the symptom uh, you'll you'll might mask the symptom for a while but then the symptom returns so you've got like we, we see this quite a lot we'll have we've got a few clients who will they'll train really hard and they'll work towards the goal they'll be doing really well and then all of a sudden they'll just they'll kind of collapse and regress back to like a, something that's been bothering before so we, we get quite a lot of people whose back goes um well like we work really hard to fix the back and then we're like right you need to stay doing this uh, to keep it going otherwise you're gonna end up returning to this this point where you're vaccinating again and it happens all the time we'll go like six to twelve weeks and then they'll, they'll get real do really well with the training and then all of a sudden they'll be like oh i've tweaked my back i went out running but you know i've been good for so long i forgot to i didn't warm up and now, and now i can't walk and we're like oh brilliant back to square one yeah. but that goes into the next thing really about pain and um what dan said is that first of all you've got to remove the pain even if it's secondary pain from a different injury if you don't remove the pain, the customer is not going to understand what you're trying to achieve. So removing that pain and then say it's a, a knee pain, but it's caused from poor hip alignment. Um, then if the, if the knee, if you don't remove the knee pain first and foremost, then then go and fix the hips. They're going to always just think that you're causing them more pain. No, the thing as well that we experience quite a lot is that the, like the longer this, this kind of problem builds up, you become, you get kind of like chronic pain. And then dealing with that chronic pain, it's really people really struggle to differentiate between the pain that they're feeling and then when we're actually doing work with them, what's the, what they should be feeling. So they get confused between like a really intense stretch and pain and then they, they kind of fight against it and it kind of holds them back and it's just kind of that psychological yeah. change in their perception I mean, of pain. Dan's got the, 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 the key role there to talk about that because he obviously with children can't process pain very well. So yeah. he, he has to find ways to sneak that in. And we've had a conversation just recently, haven't we, Dan, about you, you trying to get children to do it themselves rather than you push them through through the pain barrier or, or through the discomfort or whatever. Yeah, I mean, pain is such an interesting topic because in, in a sense, pain is a very subjective experience and we all experience pain differently. And at the end of the day, pain is a feeling it's sort of like a sensory or an emotional experience and there's there's lots and lots of different types of pain and it can be related to an injury or a tissue damage but it can also be related to lots and lots of other factors as you've said uh, a little bit there about how somebody associates the pain of stretching with the pain of their injury um, but I think the important thing for us to remember is like the sensory system drives the motor system. So if you're feeling pain, if you're having a sensation of pain, that's going to really affect your, your movement system. So we do have to look at ways of, of trying to manage pain to then influence um, the motor system, which is why sort of this multi-pronged approach in terms of doing things like, you know, mobilizations and stretching and, and touch um to reduce pain to then create more potential for movement um, that's where i suppose holistic therapies then get it get it right because yeah. they they do promote movements in all different things maybe not chinese medicine and chemical based ones but mm. um chiropractor massage and um osteopaths per se that they would all promote movement over um, or manipulation, let's say. Yeah, I think it's the touch. I think it's the touch element that they that they really uh, benefit from. Because the, I think, in a sense, we sometimes underestimate the power of touch. It's a really, really powerful medium. And yeah. what what do you do when a little person uh, falls over and bangs their knee? What do you say to them? You say to them, "Rub it better." Or what do you do if you see somebody who's feeling sad? You know, you go and give them a hug. And those yeah. two those two things are like really powerful, like social, emotional, and physical. Um, have really sort of big physical impacts on us as well to reduce pain, anxiety, and stress. Yeah, and it wasn't until I started working with children with cerebral palsy, I sort of figured that out as well from mine and your conversations as well, is that, that touch, and I use it quite a lot, especially with young athletes now as well, that touch is an amazing thing. And then proprioception, when like it's in chronic injury as well, the chronic proprioception is very odd isn't it so they don't know how to move anywhere or which direction yeah. so move touching them in the direction you want to move is a big um is a big help 
in um, some movements. Yeah, the more sensory input you provide, the more motor output you can get. So a lot of work I do with the children I work with is, is providing them with, with sensory input, providing them with proprioceptive input to, to drive that motor system so they know where their body is in space. They can understand the length of their limbs or where they are and, and what they're doing and how, how to move them. Yeah, so I, I, the science into that, and um, I've been to a lecture about it, is it's quite interesting. So... I'm going to use a quite an extreme example, but imagine you were you got your hand crushed in a factory. Your nerve endings in your arm or your your forearm, should I say specifically, only know what that feels like. And if those nerve endings are then damaged in that hand, you, there's no way any doctor can repair nerve endings. It's impossible at the moment. So then their course of action would be to remove the hand. But the nerve endings in your forearm still only remember a crushed hand even the hand has been now been removed mm. they only remember a crushed hand hence why people they have that phantom limb syndrome and mm. feeling itching or, or or cramping in a hand that, or an arm that has then been removed um, because there is no way to repair nerve endings so then we have to use as dan said is um sensory help to try and remove that pain from damaged nerve endings and potentially from then surgical interventions can do the same because you remember the, the surgeon is then cutting through those nerve endings to repair whatever needs be and if they do repair themselves great but you might be left with some sort of nerve damage mm -hmm. um, and I think the main thing is if you approach pain or injury and pain I suppose with an open mind and think anything is better than where I'm at if you're at the chronic pain end and you get anything more out of it then you, you you're winning because if you go in with a with a closed mind and think there's, there's no way somebody's going to be able to help me then you you're already lost the battle really against pain so the interesting thing about chronic pain or the way I always kind of think about it is if is if uh, you imagine a field and if you walk down one path or one part of that field constantly over and over again for a month that path starts getting worn and the area starts getting worn and then all of a sudden there's a path, a path from A to B that, that you're then just constantly going down that path because that's the easiest route. If there's a big field with one path down it, everybody walks down that one path, don't they? They don't tend to walk on these other grass areas. And a lot of the time that's kind of what happens with chronic pain um, clients is that they're, they're constantly going down that path and it's that path of pain. So we need to find another path. And that, that kind of happens on a neurological level. So you're using you know you're using those neurological fibers which which tend to be causing pain but the, so you need to find other pathways uh, and other ways to to not just from a neurological point of view but also kind of from your your own mindset point of view as well i think you can take concepts from all of these different types of holistic therapy and apply it to more to a, like more of a science-based approach and then you can get kind of the best of both kind of thing because like there's a few times where i've been dealing with someone who's struggling with some like hip pain or back pain and then using kind of like a bit of massage and foam rolling kind of relaxes the muscle a little bit, takes a bit of the pain away and then you can get more out of the, more out of the movement. So then it makes the rest of the session easier. So I, I you do that quite a lot. So I think adding that kind of massage element into the kind of rehab that we do is it adds quite a lot. So um, moving on to kind of like addressing self treatment. So one that we got asked questions about all the time and it's quite, it's quite popular. We went through a phase where everybody was doing it is, Kind of foam rolling which is a, a form of self myofascial myofascial release there's been a lot of research on it in the last few years you see you can you kind of see all your athletes walking around with the foam roller under their under their arm when they're going to training and stuff and i think it, to some extent it does have a place when you when you apply it to training in the right way but some people will feel like that's another kind of quick fix so it's basically just self-massage and people will just foam roll to, for the sake of foam rolling because they think it'll help their injury yeah and it, they sort of they think it's some sort of relaxation technique as well as uh, an injury fix that they just sit rolling around on it for and they don't really know why um, but like ed said if you, if you if it's got it has got a place and, and myofascia release does have a place alongside the rest of your treatment but it's got to be alongside in my view it can't be just on its own because Especially that not the may say foam roller, but that I can't remember the name of it, the little dolphin thing that people used to scrape down 
their fascia and scrap right. scratch that's, that's making a comeback I think yeah it is and that's on the next section but it is a, it is an odd one and I think oh, that on its it, own is definitely not solving anything other than giving you bruising the Theragun as well that's quite popular at the minute yeah so we're people will get like they'll have a like, sore knee so they'll just they'll just Theragun the knee and then be like yep fixed we'll come to that in a second Ed. that's on the one in a second yeah um, what are your thoughts on myofascial release uh, Dan or I think uh, actually looking at myofascial release in its purest form, there's a lot of skepticism around it in the physio world. Is you say that the, the purest form is like physical massage? Yes, yeah. definitely. And then this idea of kind of self myofascial release. I think myofascial release, even, even as a therapist performing it to a client, what are you actually releasing the myofascia or are you just providing a deep tissue massage? I, I'm, I would be sceptical if what we're actually doing is releasing the, the myofascia or whether we're just actually providing the benefits of deep tissue massage. And the idea that somebody could perform a, a myofascial release on themselves, I, I think I would be very sceptical about yeah, that. Just yeah. being able to do the quality, the yeah. specific nature of it, um, being able to hit the right the right points. Um, yeah, some, some PTs or some therapists say as well that, uh, oh, yeah, your fascia is so tight. Fascia's job is to be tight, is to protect that muscle. So and, uh, another thing I just thought of as well, all, all of the research at the minute is kind of aligned into kind of one camp about their foam rolling and stuff. And they say that it it does have a acute effect on range of motion. So like immediately before training, foam rolling can increase your range of motion, which then kind of add to your part of your warm-up. Is it actually releasing the fascia? It's unknown. It could just be the fact that you're, because you're going over it, no, yeah. <laughs> warming it up. Yeah. And it's blood blood flow it's just like the same you're as in blood flow blood. you're causing vasodilation yeah, you're exactly. so providing sensory blood. input you know is, is it actually doing what it, it thinks it's doing unsure but it does have some effect on that range of motion yeah so that's that's a more common one the less common one is that i've got next is i've sort of put i've said massage ball because it's more common now massage ball is a bit of myofascial release but then also they love the old hockey ball don't they get into your shoulder is for as well uh, pain gate theory so causing pain elsewhere to release so the one example i would have used and i would do use it in the gym massage ball in the shoulder to get more range of motion from shoulder and i think that's just if you cause pain elsewhere generally yes it's going to take your mind off it but it, the pain gate theory is very very sketchy on how it um, is applied so people think that hang on, I could maybe cause pain in my left leg to fix my right leg. I mean, that is completely... Yeah, well, it's not, not so much even just about causing pain, but it's providing a different type of sensory input um, to yeah. then alter the way that the pain is transmitted through the nervous system to the sort of central nervous system. So what, what the pain gate theory suggests is that you can block the transmission of pain signals from your peripheral nervous system to your central nervous system by providing an alternative sensory stimulation so in a sense when i when we say rub it better that's what that is working on it's, it's your pain gate theory so you're providing a different sensory stimulation to the skin by rubbing it which then stops or disrupts the transmission of the pain of the injury of when you've knocked it being transmitted to the to your brain or to your central nervous system instead. I think rubbing an injury better is one of the best best ways. Uh, every time I bang my head, it's like ah, and it always seems to work. Absolutely, and where there's no sense, there's no feeling. I imagine. Yeah. <laughs> but then the last part of this is Ed's already mentioned it, but the the fairy gun. So this is the hot one at the minute with self uh, treatment and. The science behind it is that you're trying to relax the sympathetic nervous system and engage your parasympathetic nervous system by creating blood flow and lymphatic um, release. So I think generally it falls down the rest of what we said. If it works for you, fine. But just hammering the area with... A rubber device I don't think is going to cause you much difference than a foam roller really I think it's just a clever way Except, yeah it's just it makes you look good on Instagram you get a good boomerang from it um, <laughs> it's a bit of a statement saying look I've got 90 quid to spunk on this piece of useless kit that's what it says yeah, I would agree. just me yeah. anyway my personal I've, opinion 
any anything that that's a, a fad and that you i would tend to suggest it will probably be a fad it's, it'll be fashionable for a while and then it then something else will come along and it will be forgotten so yeah, i mean in a sense great. that tells you it in itself that it's not something that's going to be a lifelong useful tool it'll it'll go in a cycle of a fad but i, I do think kind of localized vibration therapy which is kind of what the the gun is trying to achieve you know you might get a little bit quite more nice from, um than a roller or a ball i think the effect of vibration on the vestibular and the sensory system is is quite interesting in helping to you know improve sense sensory input uh, recruit more motor units and and the effect it, it will have on the muscle and and with the vibration you can start to trick the brain a little bit more depending on the the velocity or the speed of the vibration so mm -hmm. if you are in pain you can start to trick your brain a bit more about the pain because of all of these quick messages it's getting from this vibrating thing that's you know, pounding that's <laughs> pounding it you know my sister's she's a masseuse so she she's a beauty therapist but she uses the parasympathetic nervous system quite a lot uses that sort of impact through a muscle to to trick it quite a lot and she she's not even a science-based practitioner but she knows that tricking that muscle to make it relax works so that's just again going back to what we said trial and error that she's found that that does work for quite a lot of clients that it, here's a good example of of that with trial and error so i was playing rugby last season dave was playing um and at half time my glute like felt like it was like just gone really tight and I was like oh Dave can you just quickly stretch my glutes so he did all the glute stretches that we knew about and it nothing changed and then he was like he, he kind of ran out of ideas so he got me into like a glute stretch and then he just went bang punched it he punched it about three times and then it loosened it off and I got up and I was like oh that feels better did it actually work I don't know but I felt better afterwards that's it changing your perception like Dan said yeah it might it might have just been that oh Dave's Dave's fixed it I'm fine now. It might have just be my mind, just like placebo effect. But then again, it might have been you know that that different stimulus because you know, I, I was stretching it quite a lot myself, and then having Dave punch it might have just you know shocked it to release a little. I don't know. There you go. That's another tool we need to add to the toolkit. Is Dave yeah. punching you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> add that as a service. Punching <laughs> therapy. Yeah. <laughs> So on to the last section um, of this is bro science baffler. Um, these kind were, where we, there's loads of them in the, in in uh, holistic therapy. So uh, I've listed a few, but if we if we think of any, we'll we'll fire them out more for us to fire at Dan. Is the first one is everything hurts. Somebody says it comes to me and they go, I've got I've got an injury, and I and I say, well, what seems to be the problem? They just go, oh, everything hurts. Is it knee pain? Is it hip pain? It says, oh, just my, all my leg hurts. Because proprioception is gone, as we said, that they can't feel anymore. They really struggle to pinpoint, but that doesn't make our job any easier. When they come to me saying everything hurts, and we just give them a good all-over stretch or whatever limb or injury they're receiving it does seem to improve things but also if people aren't willing to help themselves it makes it very difficult as well um i don't know your view on it dan or what's um yeah i guess it kind of feeds into that whole that whole thing about you new know, different types of pain you know like transient non-specific limb pain is a very hard thing to manage i guess what you need to start pinning down into it is is more about you know what's underlying that what what are the triggers and then work on the work on the triggers uh, I, I mean i generally believe that there's there's very few substitutes for movement in helping you feel better if you have any type of pain no, i think the, probably the other important thing that i think we need to consider as as therapists is sometimes we always want to try and explain everything to science but sometimes that's not always possible yeah. so sometimes we just we just need to ensure that we make that person believe that they're going to get better with the thing that we've prescribed to them and and tell it to them in a way that's going to leave them in no doubt that the thing that we've prescribed them is going to absolutely make them feel better and they're going to go away and they're going to see a transformation in their health and i think there's a, there's a lot to there's a lot to be said to that too is in some of these cases of sort of transient non-specific limb pain it's stripping it back um, a little bit more and we don't have to be too too science-based about everything in these instances because they're very hard to explain to science sometimes yeah, yeah absolutely i've got i've got one that relates to everyday kind of gym goers and stuff and how injury happens so the warm-up that most people do when they go to the gym 
five minutes walking on the treadmill, five minutes biking. And then if they're doing legs, they'll do, you know, five toe touches and, and then they'll go or something like that. Or, or they'll do like five minutes on the bike. If they're doing upper body, then they'll go oh, open up the chest, open up the chest and then straight into heavy bench. We get lots of cases where somebody's hurt themselves and we're like, oh, did you warm up? And they go, yeah, yeah. And then they tell us what they did in the warm up. And they've done, that's what they've done as the warm up. What do you think about that? You've got to prepare your body for the thing that you're wanting it to do. So if you're going to do something heavy, you're going to start. Want you want to start preparing it for doing something heavy. Um, a lot. Of, I do work a lot in preparation with the children that I work with. Is that I, I won't go into the thing that I really want them to work on before I've done a number of preparatory activities that's going to prepare uh, the, the muscles, the bones, the joints, the nervous system, proprioceptive system to that thing that I want it to do because once I get all those things switched on then I can really start working and on the thing that I really want it's to almost work. like sneaking in the thing you actually want to achieve isn't it because yeah. you've got to slot it in there to try and trick them that they're not working um, mm. because if you say right now we're going to do hard work it's almost like they'll regress then yeah. um, you've got to sneak it in I um, mean that's one of the key areas that gets missed out is that people go like have you heard of the acronym, the RAMP acronym? I'll no. Raise, like raise body temperature, which is like your five minute warm up, whatever. Activate, mobilize, and then I think it's perform or potentiate or something like that. Um, so obviously they, they skip out all those steps of the warm up. So they go from raise straight into perform. Mm. And I think that's the key thing that everybody misses out in, is that activate and mobilize. And that's what, that's what's going to stop you. Well, hopefully prevent you from getting injured and, long-term development you're actually going to progress more by doing those stages definitely because your body's going to be more open to change yeah. because it uh, because you've prepared because you've done those preparatory activities so you're going to yeah. achieve more from your workout than than uh, if that, you don't do those things that's probably what develop that'll help you develop that proprioception as well well that's, i just tell they, they say when they say how long is this warm-up and i just say well appropriate warm-ups that you're going to perform up to 30 percent better so I don't, well, even, I don't even tell them why. I just say that 30% better. Than yeah, if somebody's saying, why are we warming up for so long? I'll say, well, Usain Bolt runs out for like nine seconds, but he spends about 40 minutes warming up. Yeah, exactly. If he did a 10-minute warm-up, do you think he'd be able to run nine seconds? And then they go, oh, yeah, good point. And then just listen after that. Yeah. The NHS said, or my doctor said, or my doctor won't help. And that's generally because if you... They think you haven't explored all avenues. So if you go to your doctor and say, I've done strength training and all the things that Dan listed, I drink, I've tried to drink more water and all those things, then he's probably going to be more open to other types of treatment. But if he, like Dan said, is misdiagnosing it as fibromyalgia, it's because the NHS isn't set up for you to have progressive treatment for just something that may go away with you. NHS, uh, NHS physios are kind of like when we because we've dealt with quite a lot of like knee injuries and stuff like that. So when you're doing your NHS physio, it's kind of like you need to be you need to tick this box and then you're you're good to go. But then most of the time, the people who they tick the box and they leave their NHS treatment. So according to the NHS physio treatment, there you know they've they've recovered and they can start returning back to whatever they were doing. But then most of the time. They come to us and then there's massive like leg discrepancies. There's still lots of functional things that they are unable to perform. And that's what like, we have to then spend a lot of time addressing. So and I, obviously I know it's quite a tough thing because obviously it's quite underfunded. You know, you know, you can't provide that same high quality as a private physio, but then not everybody can afford a private physio. So it's a kind of a, it's a bit of a t complex issue, isn't it? Because you need to be able to get people back it's to where they need to be. It's a unique um problem for the uk really because our, our health service is yeah. so good whereas i had a friend from america who who cut his finger off in in one fell swoop and all they they went to he went to the hospital and they said what do you want us to do and he had to settle for what he could afford not what he really wanted so the the fact was was just remove the finger and that was it so he he shredded his finger to the bone and, and the only solution that he could afford was to remove the finger. Mm. Whereas if you were in this, in this country, they would try the best try to give him most function. Um, so exactly the same situation. My granddad sliced most of his thumb off 
Um, and he, the doctor, had a debate of what he was going to do, but because it was his thumb, he, he thought that if I remove it, he's going to be quite badly debilitated with the removal of his thumb. So he did everything in his power to save the thumb, and he did quite successfully. So it shows that, it, that the NHS really will try their best to, to, to help you and give you the best the NHS is obviously clearly a fantastic institution in our country. I yeah. think my my perceptions of, of having worked in the NHS, having worked in the independent industry, is the NHS is obviously um, bound or tied to certain levels of provision. So the NHS is a provision-based model, yeah. and they will recommend to you the provision that they're able to deliver. So if you have a back injury and you go and see your GP and they refer you to the NHS physio, you'll probably have a 12-week wait, perhaps. Uh, but that aside, uh, when you go to see them, the provision of their model of care is you'll have up to six sessions and they'll generally, generally prescribe exercises because that's what they're commissioned to provide. Yeah. And once you've completed your six sessions, you'll be discharged with advice and an exercise programme to go away with. Um, and in a sense, the NHS will always be... Um, restricted by the provision that it's able to to provide to each individual person so obviously there's a there's got a, a big population to try and to yeah. try and care for i think the the difference with you might find is if you go and see somebody independently or privately is their model is a needs-based model so they will be able to tell you what it is that you need they're not bound by a certain model yeah. of provision they're not bound by something that they've been commissioned to provide they can give you their independent opinion, which is separate to an institution or separate to any of the, the red tapes or models of care or pathways that they have in the NHS. And they can tell you exactly what it is that you need. And, you know, as you say, that thing might be, it might be expensive. It might be more sessions. Yeah. It might be, might be more changes in lifestyle. It might need a little bit more consistent or persistent effort, or they might well be able to offer you more than just here's some exercises, go away and then do them. They might be able to start to offer you mobilizations or massage or different you know friction massage or different mobilization techniques so they'll kind of look at things as a look yeah, at more more back to uh, episode three that um michael said that when he first started his career it seemed to be ultrasound seemed to be yeah prominent and then i've had ultrasound twice both through the nhs not really had a great deal of effect on me and that that's just one of their ways that they as Dan said is they can try and access yeah um improving your your whatever it is injury or, or range of motion or whatever going back to the kind of what we were saying about the NHS physios then I think even on the flip side I've had I've, I've had experience some experience dealing with customers who have been to a private physio like and been paying quite a lot of money to this private physio mm -hmm. and then some of the stuff that the physio has said just doesn't make sense and it sounds sometimes like the physio doesn't know the answer so they decide to attribute it to something that's strange so they'll be like I think one example I had was this girl who would she described the symptoms to me and it sounded like she was a prime age for that Osgood Slatters mm. so that's what it sounded like to me straight away but then apparently the physio attributed, attributed it to nerve damage you know extremes on both ends like yeah, you can be very it's like everything like we said before there's there's good and bad in everything yeah. There'll be good and bad. There's good and bad physios, good and bad strength and conditioning trainers. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'm I'm a big believer in you know, beware of Doctor Google. Um, if it sounds oh, too good to be weird. true, it probably is. You know, there's a lot to be said for seeking you know an expert of opinion of somebody who you know, like and trust, or somebody who other people have recommended to you to get an, an opinion on your specific circumstances and, and some the most relevant thing for you. And I, I think you know, obviously, finding somebody who has been recommend has been recommended or who has success stories there's a, there's a same with, with the kind of problem that you have i think that's really important there's a saying from benjamin franklin uh, that says oh, here we go beware of the old doctor and the young barber yeah so it means that you know somebody who hasn't got you need to come somewhere in the middle between experience and then also what is mm. at the forefront of industry so um if you if you don't have a happy medium between the two there is no there is no right answer per se um and then this also leads on to another bro science one is i need a different practitioner for all ailments so you see a oh, yeah. for your back pain you see a masseuse for your hip pain you see a pt because you're not engaging your core when 
all of these things could probably be sorted by a little bit more self-care. And it is hard because there's a lot of self-care that needs to be done to create a holistic approach. And um, it, it is difficult, but there's, there, is, there is work that can be done. And, and fixing the core is, is, a, is a very common one. And it's not always as easy as that. But um, people get confused with what your core is as well. So I think it's just six pack. Exactly. Yeah. So it's not just your your six pack. A, a really common one I hear is they've been to the chiropractor and the chiropractor says they've got twisted hip. Now, for me, if you've got twisted hips, you wouldn't be stood straight or walking straight because it'd be an absolutely horrific thing. And I think what they mean is hip tilt, and hip tilt it it can be corrected by core exercises, but not what pe most people's perception of core exercises. It's those really fine core muscles under your belly button, next to your hips, and working that tilt forward of your pelvis. And that can be attributed quite a lot of uh, back and, and hip pain. But it, for somebody to just say you've got twisted hips or your core is bad, isn't really offering a pragmatic solution of how to remove your micro hip pain. And that's the main thing I think you need to give a pragmatic solution. I think, I think probably that one of the most interesting things of, of all when it comes to health industry, like you say, the best thing you can do for your, for your health is, you know, a program of progressive mobility, movement, strength exercises. But we all, we all know, we've all got the knowledge of what improves our health. I think, I don't think there's anything any, any other research we need to do or any other mobility, you know, different modalities that we need to learn about when it comes to health and, and fitness. It's, <laughs> it's very simple, but you see, we, as human beings, we make emotional decisions about things that make us feel good. Um, and we, it doesn't, doesn't really matter about the knowledge. So I think for us, we've got to, we've got to remember that when our clients come to us, they're not making a decision based on the knowledge. So I could tell them, like this is the problem with your hip. This is rotating here. That's rotating there. That muscle's a bit there. That that's a bit there. But I, I need to buy into that emotional side of the decision making and ensure that I do something that's going to help make them feel good. It's going to help them make sure that they're moving towards a goal or a target because we don't make decisions based on logic. Um, you know, if we want to get in good shape, we do more exercise. We eat well uh, or we eat a bit less, and that's just fundamentally true in, with regards to health full stop but we don't make decisions based on that knowledge because we've all already got that knowledge so we make the decision based on on the emotion and how it makes us feel and i think uh, you know marrying together this kind of holistic therapy physiotherapy strength and conditioning and, and all you know trying to marry all those together i think that's the crux of where it all meets so in this section we called the finish line we asked dan 20 quick fire questions and he'll try and answer as best as he can um, we've had some interesting uh, answers over the last few episodes, so no pressure there, Dan. So, I'll leave it to you, Ed. Fire away. What do you prefer, running or cycling? Running over cycling. You Not have sure. to. You have to have. You have to be very middle class and very middle aged to enjoy cycling. I think. <laughs> coffee or tea? Uh, definitely coffee. I've got myself one of those fancy coffee machines in the house, and that keeps me going for sure. Nice. Uh, favorite dessert? Not being much of a dessert man, but you can't go wrong with ice cream. Just, you know, a good old... Plain and simple. Ice cream, yeah. yeah. Something, you know, strawberry yeah, cheesecake, Hagen Dars. Favourite superhero? Superhero. I've, do you know what? I'm totally not into any of the Marvel movies, superhero movies or anything like that. But growing up, I was, I was a big fan of Batman. So it would be Batman. <laughs> Batman, yeah. Pub grub and a pint or cocktails and a gourmet menu? Well, the one thing we're all missing at the moment is the pub, isn't it? You know, so... Uh, <laughs> You'd love to kill for uh, yeah. some fish and chips or something from the pub with a nice nice kind of smooth on it. Absolutely. I mean, I've been a bit of a beer geek, so I'd have to go for that option, I think. <laughs> nice. Squats or deadlifts? Uh, squats or deadlifts. Uh, both equally painful in their own way, but I suppose probably squats. If you had to be an animal for the day, what would it be? Uh, having uh, recently gone to the wildlife park, uh, which is just over the fence from where I live actually I would have to choose one of these one of these Ethiopian monkeys that they've got there they just they just prat about all day don't they they look like they're having a right laugh so I have to go for one of them <laughs> that's a new one favorite holiday destination I've always had a thing for eastern Europe actually so the beer. yeah it's, you know it's there's, there's so much culture uh, there to see and a lot of it is is really untouristic as well so 
you know, I did like all the Baltic states and lots of like, lots of places in Eastern Europe. So I think, you know, get yourself a camper van or get yourself an interrail and go to some parts of Eastern Europe. But it's just great. Yeah. Uh, high intensity interval training or low intensity steady state? I would have to go for the, the hit. Hit. Everybody loves a hit. Yeah. So you, you pretty much answered this one already, but starter or dessert? Yeah, definitely a starter. Yeah. Somebody said both. That was a good yeah. answer. <laughs> yeah. uh, what sport would you play if you weren't a rugby referee? If I wasn't a rugby, well, I, I, I do often get the like the bug to think, oh, should I go back to playing rugby or not? Um, is there any other, other sports apart from rugby? Or? I mean, is there any other sports? Um, I've, I've always, I've, I've always quite enjoyed playing squash. I had a, um, a run with mates where we used to go and play squash every week. So I, uh, I've always enjoyed that, like racket sports, uh, badminton, tennis. Uh, I do enjoy racket sports. Yeah. Most underrated exercise. Interesting. So, from my point of view, I think probably the thing that we don't do enough of is uh, rotational exercises or transverse plane exercises so anything that involves like a rotation like like a rotational lunge something like that very underrated we spend a lot of time doing the the curls and the squats and the pushes and the presses but you know do we do enough of the rotation i think that's one life is three-dimensional but we only train in one dimension usually so yeah definitely (laughs) Uh, is it a scone or a scone it's a scone, definitely. Yeah, I agree. Scone, <laughs> I don't yeah. know where scone comes from. Yeah, <laughs> cats or dogs? Now, never had pets at all growing up. Uh, never been an animal person. But my girlfriend came as a package deal with a rabbit. <laughs> so needs out of the. So have like a house rabbit. So I would, I would have to, I would have to say that. I know it's not a cat or a dog. I'd probably yeah. say neither. <laughs> rabbit. But house rabbit, why not? Yeah. Uh, if you could only we read one book for the rest of your life, what would it be? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I enjoy doing personal development and I enjoy reading personal development books. One of my favourite authors out there is Jim Rowan and he writes a book that's called The Seasons of Life and that's, that's one of my favourites. So if I could only read one, it would be that one closely followed by Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People, of course, which is a great personal development book. But I love Jim Rowan's um, Seasons of Life. It just kind of talks about all the different phases and stages of, of life and how life is cyclical and how you can kind of manage all those different cyclical parts of life, you know, the ups and the downs and the in-betweens. So that would Our be the mental one. development journey then. Yeah. Best corrective exercise that you probably do regular? Um, there's... there's... <laughs> There's no substitute for things like your sit to stand, your sit to stands or your, your squats. You know that's that's such a, a useful exercise. It's functional. It builds strength. Um, you can you can do it in a, such a variety of different ways, adding different levels of difficulty to it. Uh, I think you know the good old sit to stand or a squat is is probably nice. the exercise I do the most. Yeah. <laughs> You're at Nando's. You've got two side orders to pick. What do you go for? I probably shouldn't tell you, really, because... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you've got your truth and then the one you should... Be my PT, I probably shouldn't say, but, I mean, <laughs> uh, period chips and garlic bread, get all the carbs. Come yeah, on. <laughs> just all the carb loading. <laughs> Person or people you would most like to meet? That's a tricky one, isn't it? Because they say, they say never meet your heroes, don't they? One um, <laughs> of one person who I would definitely respect a lot and think is incredibly successful, I think would be actually generally really cool to chill out with as well, is somebody like Will Smith. I think he's, you know, he's hit the peak of his industry. He's, he's, yeah. He seems to have, like, have a really good philosophy, just works really hard, but he's actually just really good at what he does as well and seems pretty cool. So maybe somebody like Will yeah, Smith. Good one. Good one. So, uh, what would you say is your proudest achievement of your life so far? This can be, doesn't have to be, like, career-related, could just be... You ran 10k really fast or something like that. Yeah. I, don't know. I mean, I'm always proud of the business. So I'm, I'm, the business has been running for six years now. I, I took a risk uh, a number of years ago. You know, left the NHS, set up my own business, and you know, I'm, I'm generally really proud of how it's going. We've managed to grow to a team of 14, 15 other therapists, so which we're managing. You know, it, it. And the thing that probably I'm most proud of is is how we've is the difference we've been able to make to the lives of the children that we've worked with. I mean, yeah. some, of, some, some of the transformation in some of the children that we've worked with, are, you know, extremely proud of, of them. 
and what they've what they've achieved and how we've been able to achieve by helping them really that's um Fantastic. definitely up there the last one from me as well is which one of the above mentioned holistic therapies would you use if you needed to <laughs> i thought you might uh, ask me that actually um if i felt like i had a really stiff back do you know what i would consider seeing a chiro just to give me some mobilization because i think probably a chiro is gonna have a little bit more knowledge and skills than a physio when it comes to mobilization or manipulation so if i really felt like that's what i needed i would probably go for it would be that that bit of a quick fix but not as a I wouldn't go and just go and see um, a Cairo, but I would consider it if I felt like that was a thing that I really needed. Cool. Thank you very much, Dan. Thanks for that. No problem. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Dan, cheers. Another very good round of questions completed by Dan there. I think he chucks in a few curveballs that we haven't heard before, which is always good. Um, quite detailed in some of his answers as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's. Uh, I think that was... Overall, very good uh, talking to Dan about about a few different types of uh, training methods, different types of therapies. It's kind of like I said, I think in the intro about how I was a bit kind of closed-minded about it and how I thought it was a hoodoo. But he's made, he raised some very good points throughout that about, especially about how uh, the sensory system interacts with how you feel and how we make decisions about our own. Um, yeah, I knew, I knew that. I knew that with children um, a lot, but I'm going to try and apply it a little bit more to more customers now, not just children or not just injured people. I'm going to try it in just training as well. Yeah. I, I suppose if you is he, the take home message is that all of these therapies, if they if you do them and then you find the benefit from them, then, it's, then as long as you you are feeling better because of it, it is not a bad thing, even though it might not be scientifically the most. Uh, the most effective way of dealing with your problem if it helps you mentally deal with the problem then it is it's all right i suppose good yeah it goes in with our um thing that dr goss said as well and the physical health is that improve your mental health and yeah yeah so if that's well, yeah. i suppose that's a big part of it if you feel happier in your in your brain like i said when i when i mentioned about how uh, that dave had that little intervention with me on the rugby pitch even though it might not actually uh, fix me physically it helps me it put me at ease mentally so I'm, it might have been that so it's yeah. a big part of your brain that uh, it plays a part in pain and injury yeah cool so place of interest uh, as always is accelerate-coaching.com at accelerate coaching on facebook or at accelerate underscore coaching on instagram you can find dan at at pt kids uk on Instagram and submit any questions um, in the show notes or on Instagram for Dan if you've got any questions on what he does with children or if you've got a child who wants some physio we can we're happy to pass those questions along um, next time we'll see you we'll be in for nutrition with Jason very special guest and uh, we'll hope to see you soon I've been Ed Miles you can find me on Instagram at, at ed double m performance or you can find me at bish1990 on instagram there's another one another episode in the bag another one very interesting one coming very soon so stay tuned keep an eye on the facebook for the releasing of, of that and look forward to uh, sharing our thoughts with you all again soon